You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. These could be seven types of churches that exist today. And as we go through these churches, you know, the Lord draws our attention to certain characteristics that mark these churches. And you'll probably be relate, uh, good and bad, by the way, and you'll probably be able to relate to those. You'll probably uh, think to yourself, hey, you know what? That's the church that I came out of, or that's the church that I am presently uh, worshiping in. So seven types of churches that exist today. One of the most amazing aspects of prophetic visions and God's Word in general is that they're timeless in nature. What might have been a profound vision or revelation 2,000 years ago can also have just as much significance in a time later decreed by God. As Pastor Mike will teach you in his message today, the letters to the seven churches hold that very characteristic. In his study, you'll learn how these historical churches of the ancient world are of great significance to us today. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 2 as he begins his message, Smyrna, the Persecuted Church. I remember what you said, you returned that I might live in my Father's house. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. And turn with me to the book of Revelation in chapter 2. And the text that we're going to be treating, and this is where we left off last time, verses 8 through 11. The title is Smyrna, the Persecuted Church. So let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And to the angel, or the elder, or the overseer of the church, to Smyrna, write, These things say it's the first and the last, who is dead, and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, that you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, if you've been counting, this is the second of seven letters that were written to seven churches that are recorded for us here in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3 of the book of uh, Revelation. And uh, in the introduction... Concerning these seven churches, last time together, 
I shared certain facts about those seven letters that I thought were very important and certainly worth mentioning again. For example, there were seven churches that existed during the time in which John recorded this particular book of the Bible. Seven specific churches. And I, and I thought that what was very interesting about these seven churches is that they were the churches that were most prominent in John's day. For example, the book, uh, the uh, church in Galatia was a more prominent church than some of the churches that are mentioned here in these seven letters. So obviously God uh, chose them with a particular thing in, in mind. And that brings us to another thing that I want to uh, mention concerning these churches. It's also been said that these seven churches represent seven basic divisions of church history. And uh, even as Ephesus, and remember we studied the epistle that was written to the church at Ephesus last time, represented the first century church or the apostolic uh, church, right? The seventh chur uh, church or the seventh epistle that is written and recorded for us here in chapter uh, three represents the last days church or the times in which uh, we live in. So seven basic divisions of church history. Also, another feature of these letters, these could be seven types of churches that exist today. And as we go through these churches, you know, the Lord draws our attention to certain characteristics that mark these churches. And you'll probably be relate, uh, good and bad, by the way, and you'll probably be able to relate to those. You'll probably uh, think to yourself, hey, you know what, that's the church that I came out of, or that's the church that I am presently uh, worshiping in. So seven types of churches that exist today. And then lastly, seven characteristics. All seven of these churches represent seven characteristics that can exist not only in any church, but as uh, well in any Christian. So those four things that I wanted to once again, I'll remind you about concerning these epistles. So again, this is the second of seven letters. And again, as I've already mentioned, even as the church at Ephesus characterized and represented the apostolic age or the first century church, Smyrna represents that church age that's marked by its persecution for Christ's sake. And it spans the period of the 2nd through 4th century, during which time over 6 million Christians were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet there's a wider application uh, here, something that we can take away from this letter. Jesus is speaking to all of his suffering people throughout all ages. And this would include the present, the present persecuted church even today. So it's his word to the messenger of Smyrna. Now, the city of Smyrna, just a little bit of background before we continue on here, received the name from one of the principal products for which it was renowned for in commerce. It was a major port for myrrh, which is a tree resin oil. And it is quite interesting to me, therefore, that Jesus should speak to the church in this manner. That is, as the suffering church or the persecuted church. Because again, and you probably are aware of this, but myrrh 
was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. So carefully, the linens were prepared and wound around the bodies of the deceased while myrrh was packed between the folds of the cloth, and it was just a part of the process of embalming. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. Now that sets the stage for this message. And that also brings us to our first point, and if you're taking notes, write this down, and that is suffering saints. Now, in the midst of the church today, I want you to think about it, there is suffering. That is in one form or another. In a milder form, a suffering uh, that a Christian might experience would be them being mocked or ridiculed or being the brunt of someone's uh, jokes. So that would be in the milder form of uh, persecution or maybe ostrac uh, being ostracized from their uh, families. Well, in the extreme form, like for example, in the underground church in China or in Iran, Christians are being imprisoned and tortured for their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, listen, in either case, I guess we shouldn't be surprised by this, because remember, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy in chapter 3 and verse 12, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In fact, Jesus himself said in John's Gospel in chapter 16, in verse 33, In this world we shall have tribulation. So, there is, in one sense, in which this message, this letter that was sent to the church in Smyrna, then applies to all who suffer in whatever form in their Christian experience. Although primarily, this message is applied to another day. That is the modern age of the church, which again spans that period of the second through the fourth centuries. Now, let's go back to our text. I want to draw your attention to verse 10 once again. And notice there we are told, you will have tribulation ten days. Now, most Bible teachers agree that this relates to ten periods of persecution under ten different Roman emperors. Between the period of A.D. 54 through A.D. 284, and that would be from Nero to Diocletian, where Christians were thrown into Rome's arenas where there were wild beasts, either that or they were boiled in oil, or burnt at the stake. So 10 different attempts to wipe out Christianity. And of course, we know that this was Satan's doing. Satan was behind this. He was the one who was using these emperors as his puppets. He was pulling their strings. But listen, I want you to know that persecution never hurt the church. In fact, persecution only served to purify the church. I mean, think about it. If you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to continue to remain faithful in your testimony to Christ or be persecuted, right? You have to make that choice. And if you make that choice to remain faithful to the Lord, you're very serious about it if you're facing persecution. So it has a purifying effect upon it. You know, I remember this story that Pastor Chuck Smith, one of my mentors growing up 
in my Christian experience. He used to tell the story of a group of people who had been worshiping the Lord in their church, and all of a sudden, that service that they were attending was interrupted by these men who broke into the church with guns. And they said to them that they were going to kill all of the Christians. And so they gave them one last opportunity to leave the church if they weren't serious about their relationship with the Lord. And many of the people who were attending that service fled and got out of there as quickly as they could. And the only people who remained behind were those who would not renege on their commitment to the Lord. And so after everyone left, they locked the doors, and those men who were on put their weapons down, and they said, well, now we can join you, and they joined them in worship. They were Christians as well. They just wanted to make sure that there weren't any infiltrators in that congregation so that they wouldn't be known as Christians as well. And so uh, just interesting. So anyway, persecution has never done anything to hurt the church, but has only had a purifying effect upon it. So Jesus says here, notice, let's go back to our text. He says, be faithful, be strong, be courageous. This will not continue forever. You see, the Lord will come and put an end to all our tears. Now, that brings us to our second point, and that is our compassionate Savior. Now, I want to give you a cross-reference here. If you quickly turn with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, in verses 15 and 16. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And there we read concerning Jesus, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, after reading that, someone may be thinking, well, that's easy for him to say, but who is it? Think about this. Who is it that's speaking to this church, Smyrna? Well, notice in verse 8, in the latter part of verse 8 of our text, the first, the last, the one who is dead and is alive. It's Jesus, our great high priest. And he's addressing them as a fellow sufferer. That is, Jesus speaks to his suffering ones in that same manner. Listen, he understands whatever we're going through at every level. I mean, think about it. He suffered a death that was infinitely worse than it is possible for any man or woman to have had experience. So Jesus, our holy God, and his death was not only about the suffering of the body, but the greater anguish of becoming sin for us. So, let's bring this down to personal terms. Let me ask you a question. Are any of you going through it right now? In one form or another, are you suffering some sickness, some trouble, some heartache? You fill in the blank. Well, listen, be sure Jesus knows all about it. He was dead and is alive. Remember the cross. He knows what you're going through. And these suffering ones at Smyrna were experiencing great trouble, yes, but Jesus hadn't forgotten them. You know, Paul rehearsing 
the difficulties and the troubles that he encountered, some of the persecution as well, in his own experience, in his own ministry, wrote in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 and verse 9. He said, I was persecuted, but not forsaken. I was cast down, but not destroyed. Listen, these suffering believers are brought before the world to be distinguished as members of a legion of honor. Jesus says to them, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Notice there in verse 9. Now that brings us to our third point, and that is, it's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of perspective and point of view. Notice what it says there in verse 9. And it is a matter of perspective, because Jesus says, you are rich. Listen, the world looked upon these persecuted Christians as wretched, as desperate, as beggars. You know, one writer describing this church said, and I quote, They are beggars that press invisible gold in their palms and go on for God. You know, Paul in another place put it this way, 2 Corinthians in chapter 6 and verse 10, having nothing and yet possessing all things. So once again, let me ask you another question. Does it matter if the world frowns upon us? That is, if we have God's approval, what do we care what other people think about us? If we have God's approval, if we've secured the presence of God within our lives, yes, we are unknown to the world, but praise God, well known unto Him. As the Bible puts it, poor and yet making many rich. Now notice the contrast of this church, Smyrna, and the church of Laodicea, and we'll get to the record of that church in one of our future studies. But just quickly jump ahead for a moment to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. And by the way, this is one of those churches that represents the last day's church. This would be a church that would be uh, in existence during the last days, in the very days in which we live. Notice what it says there in chapter 3 and verse 17, describing this church. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Now that's the way that they perceived themselves, but what was the way that God saw them or perceived them? And do not know that you are wretched, that you are miserable, that you are poor, blind and naked. So here's a rich church that is according to the estimation of the world that God calls poor. Listen, our appraisal of poverty and riches, remember under the heading of it's all a matter of perspective, a point of view, our appraisal of poverty and riches depend upon whatever our eyes see material things only, or whether we are able to consider the invisible and discern spiritual realities. You know, the truth of the matter is that we are rich in faith. We are rich in love, right? We are rich in provision. Now notice, it was from two different sources that their troubles, that is the church there at Smyrna, sprang from. Number one, intolerant pagans, that would be Rome, and then blaspheming Jews. Notice there in verse 9. But as I've already suggested, 
both were activated by the devil. You know, when Polycarp, who is referred to as the angel of this church, or the overseer, or the elder, or the pastor of the church at Smyrna, was tried and was martyred, we are told that the Jews joined the heathen in demanding his destruction. And they were very forward in bringing false accusations against him to fuel the fire. In fact, tradition tells us that when he was 90 years old, that is Polycarp, the pastor of this church, he was taken captive and forced to choose for his life or Jesus Christ as his Lord. They demanded, renounce Christ or die. And if you don't renounce, you will be burned at the stake. Well, here was Polycarp's response. For over 80 years, I have served my Lord and Savior, Jesus. And not once has he denied me, I shall not deny him. Well, the executioner said, the fire will be hot. And then Polycarp replied, not merely as hot as the fire you will experience. And then they lit the brands and he was burned at the stake. Listen, gang, these Jews were blasphemers or literally slanderers. Hostility and contempt were poured out upon Christ and his believers. They were false Jews. That is in the sense that they pretended to be true worshipers of God. But rather they were members of the synagogue of Satan, according to this text of Scripture. And they trampled upon the church. They were exactly like their father, the devil, who is an accuser, who is a slanderer of the brethren. And so here's a church that is destitute, is crushed, but in God's estimation is rich in divine grace and is pleasing to God and is comforted with joyous hopes for the world to come. Now that brings us to our fourth and our final point, and that is in his loving hands. Now notice there in verse 10, here Jesus speaking to this church exhorts and encourages them Fear none of these things which you shall suffer. Now, why was that? Why should they, shouldn't they fear? Because, you see, Jesus knew in advance all that was going to happen to his own people. You see, there is nothing going on. There was nothing going on in their lives, as well as there's nothing going on in our lives today, except what God is allowing. And whatever he's allowing good and bad, he promises us to give grace to support us in any circumstance. Yes, whatever you're going through right now, no matter how difficult it may feel, you're going to get through it. Listen, you might not be able to make sense of what you're going through until one day you finally get to heaven. There's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be oh my heart. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We're so glad you joined Pastor Mike today to study the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. If you'd like to listen to more, just visit our website, harvestnyc.org. 
You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Finizio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to join us for worship this weekend at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet at 11 a.m., and you can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact at HarvestNYC.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out our services through our Vimeo link, or you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Links to all these are available at our website, harvestnyc.org. Before we end our time with you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us in this ministry. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting In My Father's House? Donations of any size can be made securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for praying about this, and thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.